Hey everyone, it's Monday, so we've got another episode of the Road to Revenue series. Today's episode is all about prioritization, and we're going to talk about how prioritization indicates intuition. Tweet me, at David Meltzer, your favorite takeaway from today's episode, and check the show notes to see how you can text me or email me at any time. This is Entrepreneurs The Playbook. Welcome, welcome, welcome everybody to our Friday training called prioritization, but I call it intuition because in order to prioritize, you have to utilize your intuition. And I'm going to teach a pragmatic system in order to utilize your intuition, to be in spirit, to understand and evaluate what I should be doing because all of us are given 24 hours of activity a day and how we prioritize that activity and define that activity is essential to what to me is the main goal of being productive to provide as much value every day that we can to be accessible to be accessible to others the best that we can and also most importantly to access what we want so we can acknowledge it meaning acquire the knowledge and give it away uh, and then also gratitude, the ability, the superpower of seeking and finding and learning the light, the love and the lessons in everything, providing us the ability at this pragmatic world, these 24 hours of activity, the ability to make a lot of money so we can help a lot of people and have a lot of fun. So this idea of intuition is uh, what paralyzes people because we get an impulse uh, about making a decision and the decisions that we make all day is what are we doing next you see you get one action a day and that's when you wake up and that first thought is your first action everything else is a reaction to that action you're just reacting to the next thing and these intuitive thoughts that we have confuse us or paralyze us only if we don't have a system or procedure or process in order to what evaluate what does evaluate mean energy valuation right the value of our energy or of activity and so we want to evaluate things in order to do so we have to have a practice but more than just having a practice you need to practice the practice because unlike anything else this practice you can get better at practicing and i think a lot of people they think oh because i practice that i'm naturally going to get better but if you're not practicing practicing meaning you're not get better at the practice that you're doing, you're not going to get better. You're not going to get the outcomes that you have. So how do we have a system and practice that system? I have five different prioritization tools that I utilize. And the first one, uh, first of all, by the way, I want to go through my, my beginning notes. I got ahead of myself. If you want the prioritization guide, email me. It's pinned up there, david at dmelter.com. If you have any questions, put them in the Q&A section here. IG Live, Clubhouse will bring you up after 30 minutes of the training. Uh, please do it. Next week's training will be BYOQ. And if you want to apply for Two Minute Drill, uh, we just finished season two, $50,000 of cash and prizes every episode. So go ahead, email me, david at dmeltzer.com if you want the guides, my books, exercises, or apply for uh, the Two Minute Drill on Bloomberg and Amazon. All right. Back to the prioritization practice and the practice of that practice. Um, the first thing that we need to do in order to use our intuition correctly to prioritize what is intuitive to us is to know what it is every day that we want to do, to say, to believe, what we want. And wanting is okay. 
needing, you already have everything you need, right? The law of gravity applies to your needs, meaning this earth is rotating, spinning, and hurling through the universe at such a rate and speed that a normal pragmatic person would say we should fly off. So there's proof you have everything you need because you're right where you're supposed to be at the right place at the perfect time. So remember the law of gravity at first when you decide what you want. Also remind, remember, and recollect that you have everything you need. Now, all you're doing when you make the request, the, the wish for the day is to expand, grow, and accelerate. You're just trying to improve. It's not something to feel guilty about. You can feel guilty if you say, I need it, because you don't need anything. You would not be here if you needed anything. But you want it. Wanting is a good thing. Wanting is wishing, right? Not worrying. Worrying is wishing for what you don't want. Wanting is wishing for what you want, not what other people want for you, not what's missing, not for what you don't want, but wishing for what you want is wanting. And you got to know what you want. So there's four things that we want to think, say, do, and believe according to our own personalities, our own characteristics, obsessions, addictions, etc. And the first is personal. What do you want personally? Every day, ask yourself that. What do I want personally today? Now, don't be afraid of being a hypocrite and changing your mind from yesterday or the week before or a month before or your childhood just because you're around people that were in your childhood a week ago, a month ago, and they're going to call you a hypocrite or look at you like you don't have any credibility because you changed your mind. You actually have more credibility when you change your mind. Why? Because that means you learn something. That means you're living in radical humility. That means you are humbly ignorant, saying, I don't know what I don't know. And I know I said that yesterday that, uh, you know, crypto was a great buy today. It's not. Things change. I get it. Admit to yourself that you're on a journey of learning in a humble ignorance, not an arrogant ignorance. And when you do that, you'll be able to determine what you want personally, then determine what do you want to experience today. People discount experience. Why? Because they've attached their emotions to an outcome and therefore the experience doesn't matter. Well, it's the experience that does matter, not the outcome. Because if you have faith, like I do, and the faith that I have is derived from a simple uh, lesson that I learned. And the lesson was somebody told me, you know how you feel about your children? Well, what you would do for your children and the way you feel about your children is the way the omniscient, all-powerful being feels about you. The all-knowing, all-powerful being feels that same way about you. The difference is I can only do so much for my children. The all-knowing, all-powerful could do much more. So once I put that experiential faith into place, saying I don't have to attach my emotions to an outcome, I need to experience things to learn as much as I can, improve and grow, accelerate, compound what I want as quickly as I can, because I got somebody out there that cares as much as me as I care about my children, except for they know everything and they're all powerful. Why should I have any interference, fear, void, shortages or obstacles in my way? Why would I attach to an outcome when I really don't know what's best for me? I have somebody more powerful, more omniscient that knows. That source knows exactly. So it's going to try to teach me through my experiences more lessons to push me or propel me to a better place, a better situation, a better way of doing things. So if I take my what of personally what I want, experientially how I'm going to get there, then I can determine how productive can I be? What do I want to give? What value am I going to provide? You see, when we provide value, we acknowledge what we have 
received, which is our last what. What do I want to receive? So many people are confused as I was with a saying that says, uh, the more you give, the more you receive. Now, I live my life that way. I lost everything that way. The more I would give you anything and trust anyone and just continue to believe that it will come back to me in a greater way. But that doesn't always happen because initially I thought that wasn't true, but it is true. Initially I thought, well, it's more about the more I receive, the more I can give. And then I had to reconcile both of these things that I realized that although my mom, who's my mentor and hero, taught me the more I give, I'm more I receive, she forgot to teach me step one. You can't give what you don't have. Let me show you what I mean. So if you have this much and then you appreciate it, which means you add value to it, you've decided what I want personally, experientially, giving wise, and I appreciate it, it expands. I've added value to it. Now, when I give it away, I acknowledge it. I acquire the knowledge of what I've had. The only way to acquire the knowledge of what you have is to give it away. So in essence, I now have the more I give, the more I can receive because I've expanded my vessel. I've expanded my capability of receiving by appreciating what I have, not taking for granted what other people are wishing for, which is a terrible habit that most of us have. So every day I remind, remember, and we collect what I appreciate. But the minute you appreciate what you have, it expands. Once you give it away, you have a more expansive uh, area in which to receive. And this flow keeps growing and growing and growing. So in order to be an intuit, in order to utilize prioritization of the intuition that we have, what's the intuition? It's when we most clear the interference between us and the all-knowing and all-powerful, allowing us to receive it, appreciate it, acknowledge it by giving it away so we have a bigger vessel to ask or wish again for the next day, even if we change our mind. All right, so number one, know what you want. Knowing what you want is taking inventory of what you want every day, not being afraid to be a hypocrite. A priority is a concern, <clears throat> interest, or desire that becomes before anything else. That's what a priority is. So when we have intuition, we need to prioritize it by what's important. Our priorities are the areas of our lives that are meaningful and important to us, not to other people, not to what we don't want or what's missing to us. And they're usually activities, practices, or relationships that we want to have and put a, a genuine effort and time into. See, in order to prioritize now what we want by utilizing intuition, we have to bring time into it because everything has light love and lessons in it so we could find importance in anything according to what we want but some things are innately easy to find and others are more difficult to find and we see that in relationships for example some relationships are very easy to find love in there's almost a natural attraction and they're easy low maintenance and others are so difficult right we call those people our family um they're more difficult relationships to hold so in order to utilize knowing your what, you also have to utilize time of saying how much time or is it worth the time to find the light, the love and the lessons in what I want, personally, experientially, giving and receiving wise. Is it worth it to me? Does it feed me enough or does it bleed me? And in that spectrum from feeding to bleeding, we can determine how to utilize our time, which will allow us as intuitive thoughts come through us 
to determine whether or not we're going to prioritize that intuition or not. So utilize time in the spectrum of bleeding and feeding. Most people spend about 80% of their time on things that bleed them because we feel as if it's difficult, if it's hard to find the light, the love and the lessons, then that should take up the majority of our time that we should do that. It's actually the exact opposite. If you invest your time, attention, intention, belief into the easier things to love, to find the light, the love and lessons, you will get an exponential result. That's why I teach people to find open minds, to deal with people with open minds, and then determine if an open mind is a sponsor or a power sponsor, instead of trying to beat your head against the wall at some avatar that has a closed mind. Number one, know what you want, and then prioritize and organize things by their importance. Uh, why by their importance? Um, because too many times the emotional aspect of urgency deludes, dissipates, or confuses us of what we determine or what to be. Something become very urgent. Uh, and I remember as a new father that there was a lot of urgent matters uh, that weren't as important. So, you know, there was a dirty diaper, that's urgent. Uh, but if I had a huge opportunity for uh, to receive, if I hung up that call where I may receive six, seven, eight figures by finishing up that call, I may not be able to afford diapers. And so to deprioritize a dirty diaper for five minutes to finish up a call that may result in buying diapers for my children for the rest of the life is a more intuitive decision. It's a constructive decision based off of what I want personally, experientially giving and receiving. Uh, and it's very important because I see so many people that determine their intuition by urgency, not by importance. And, uh, you know, Einstein has his matrix, uh, which we'll get into in a little bit. Know your what personally, experientially giving and receiving wise. Next, the easiest one. Know your who. People don't do this. There's two questions to ask. Once you know what you want, all you have to do is ask, who can I help and who can help me? It's that simple. Write it down. Make a list. Who can I help? Who can help me? And if you don't have that list, then make sure you're asking in person, on the phone, via email, social or traditional media, asking that important open-ended question. I have an open-ended question template that I give out where we can determine if someone has an open mind or a closed mind. Once we determine they have an open mind, we then can continue to ask questions to see how we could be of service or value. They become a who we can help. Every who we can help that has an open mind then becomes either a sponsor or a power sponsor because we know when we can determine how we can be of service or value to someone else that they can be of service or value at a minimum by asking them, do you know anyone that could help me? One simple question but it has to occur through an open-ended guide, an open-ended mind, an open-hearted mind, an open-handed mind. And too many people, once again, spend 80% of their time on a closed mind, on that which bleeds us. It takes a thousand times the energy and effort to change a closed mind or convince a closed mind than it does an open mind. So make sure that you're qualifying, not only knowing your what, personally, experientially, giving, receiving, but know your who. <coughs> Use the open-ended uh, question template to determine if it's an open mind or a closed mind. And then if it's an open mind, make sure you keep asking questions to determine how you can be of service or value. And then once you determine that, now you can ask your question, do you know anyone that can help me? Then that exposes them as either a power sponsor, somebody that 
also can help you personally and know someone that can help you or just a sponsor, somebody that can help you. Know your what, know your who, figure out who you can help and who can help you. The third one, know your how. See, when we're taking inventory of our intuition, our foundation to make decisions and prioritize activities during the day, you need to know how we can get it done. Well, there's a mathematical equation of how. What you pay attention to and what you give intention to, what you think, say, do, believe, and understanding the unconscious competencies we have, personality traits, characteristics, obsessions, and addictions, our quantum nature. When you understand what I focus in on, you can use vision boards, all type of focus tools, but more importantly, what I give intention to equals the coincidences that are gonna occur. This is a mathematical equation. It works every time. It's a mathematical equation of how people will understand and see you as lucky. I call it sometimes a mathematical equation of luck because the more coincidences that occur in your favor, the luckier people think you are. It's not a matter of luck. It's a matter of math. Attention plus intention equals the coincidences that you want in your life. In order to do so, you have to have a system and you need to practice that system. I utilize student of the calendar. As a student of the calendar, number one, I have to know what lens I use to study because most people will tell me they're a student of the calendar, but the student of the calendar doesn't lie. What they're doing is looking at their calendar. See, I study the calendar with the lens of productivity. Every activity I've planned, every activity I don't have planned, even the activity of sleep, I am looking at it with a lens of productivity. How much value can I provide? I'm looking at it with a lens of accessibility. How accessible does this make me to others? And how can I access what I want, determined by my what and my who? And then finally, the most powerful lens that everyone should have, the lens of gratitude. How can I find the light, the love, and the lessons in this? And is it worth my time on the great chain of feeding and bleeding? Is it worth my time? If you use the lens of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude, understanding how we pay attention and intention to the coincidences we want with activity we have planned, we don't have planned, and our sleep, and on top of it, understanding that there's only activity we get paid for an activity we don't get paid for never create resistance just like attaching your emotions to an outcome do not create resistance by calling anything work all you're telling people when you say i'm going to work is that you have not deciphered the light the love and the lesson in the activity you're doing because once you find light love and lessons in something it's not work <laughs> it's activity you get paid for and the more we can have activity you get paid for, the more we expand and grow, the more we can acknowledge, acquire the knowledge of what we had, the more we can receive. This is why the rich get richer. Not because of some great governmental conspiracy against you. No, the rich get rich. I could dump all the money into the desert. It would redistribute yourself to the same place because those people have bigger vessels because they understand the what, the who, and the how. I guarantee it. Once you understand this, and we are determining, utilizing those lens, having a routine, right? I, I prescribe to my tomorrow starts today, I have an unwinding routine. So I put my mind, my body and soul in the best position to recover and to plateau and grow. See, the problem with intuition, the problem with non-prioritization is that most people will feel stuck. Why? Because they roll a boulder to the top of the hill every single day and it ends up at the bottom of the hill when they wake up in the morning to start their day. I won't allow that. 
See, my tomorrow starts at 9 p.m. That doesn't mean I wake up at 9 p.m. It means I put my body, my soul, and my mind in a position to unwind. I have no alcohol, no drugs, no caffeine. I don't have any negative energy ideas. I don't bring up difficult conversation at 8.59. I also regulate my own personal energy and put a baseline at the end of the day and take a, a score of how much energy do I have left? Because that energy, the minute you try to go to sleep or recover, the energy you have less left actually works against you. It makes it difficult to go to sleep. It makes it difficult for you to connect the subconscious and unconscious mind, which is part of the reason I do an unwinding routine is to dissipate, dissolve all the leftover energy, clear the interference between me and the greatest omniscient, all-powerful source, so I can create a download as best I can. So instead of starting tomorrow at the bottom of the hill, I'm plateauing and growing. I have a new baseline to know, hey, I'm not feeling here. I'm going to get back to here before I do anything else. And we'll get to that when we apply our why. You got to know your how. Be a student of the calendar, have a routine, an unwinding routine. Now, we were joking around earlier before training in my office. The best routine that you can have is an adaptable routine on top of your normal routine. Why is that? Because if you want to make God laugh at you, come up with a well-developed routine or plan. That's the best way. So I have tried to outthink that by having an adaptable routine based off of my own non-negotiables, my health first, because if you have and are healthy, you get a million wishes a day. You're not healthy, you only got one wish. Then my family, which used to be prioritized above my health, but then my wife reconstructed and re-engineered my closed mind to say, hey, if you're not healthy, you're not gonna take care of anything or anyone. So you better put your health before us so you can take care of us. Then I prioritize my wife, minimum of 30 minutes, my 11-year-old son, a minimum of 30 minutes, minimum, minimum, because 30 minutes a day is worth 30 hours on a weekend. Two minutes a day, which I give to my three teenage daughters, is worth two hours on a Saturday. A minimum of two minutes every single day. I don't miss. It's a non-negotiable priority. It's part of my adaptable routine. Even if everything gets screwed up, I make sure I take care of my health first, then my family next and even a minute a day for my mom to tell her the four things that she needs to know every day, that I am healthy, I am happy, I appreciate her, meaning she adds value to me, and I love her. Those are the only four things that you gotta tell your parents to clear the interference between you and them, to get rid of all the snapshots and the baggage that you've carried in all of those different ways that your parents have carried in arrogant ignorance because they love you so much, they think they actually know what's best for you. You don't even know what's best for you. That's why we're creating this prioritization, this intuitive way of doing things. This is why. So it would be impossible for them to know every day your what, your who, and your how. Once you know your what, your who, your how, now you can know your now. This is the execution of the intuition. So many things come up into our mind far more than we can take action upon. So we need to prioritize by importance versus urgency. Look at Eisenhower's matrix when we're looking at this. Um, and, you know, through that matrix, you'll be able to quickly, when something comes up through your intuition, a decision to be made about an activity, you simply go right to, what do I want? Who can help me? Who can I help? How am I going to get it done according to what I planned, I don't have planned, and my sleep? It's amazing how aligned your decisions become with what you want. 
And if your decisions, your actions are aligned with what you want, it's amazing how quickly, right? Because we're putting our intention towards it. Those coincidences are aligned with what we want as well. Or what? Better. That's the key component. See, I have that faith at all times that the all-knowing and all-powerful is the ultimate GPS that not only will reroute me when I get off at the wrong exit, have a flat tire, end up at the donut shop instead of a gym, but it actually will change my destination to something better. And so I have to have an open mind and open heart and open hands, knowing my what, my who, my how, and what I'm going to do now that my outcome may be better. Never be worse. It may be better. Even if I don't think it's better because it seems like it's a mistake, a failure, a setback, a struggle, or a pain, I have complete faith knowing that that omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing source cares about me like I care about my children, except for it's all-knowing and all-powerful, unlike me, a humble, ignorant person who's doing their best, having fun, and learning lessons along the way. Now, finally, as we get into the last few minutes, when you know your what, your who, your how, and your now, the last step is to apply your why. See, too many people on earth are searching for their why. You already know your why. Your why is to provide value. Your why is to appreciate, to forgive, to be accountable. Your why is already inherent in everything you do. The problem is you're not applying your why. You're not capable of clearing the interference between you and what you already are because you're already connected to the omniscient, all power and all knowing. So what does that mean? You are healthy. You are happy. You are wealthy. You are worthy. You need to determine through the what, the who, the how and what you're doing now, how to what? Clear the interference between you and what you already are. You don't have to go get healthy, go get happy, go get worthy, go get wealthy. Trust me, you don't. If you apply your why, you can clear the interference between you and what already is done and then appreciate it, expand, acknowledge it by giving it away, acquiring the knowledge, expanding your vessel and receiving more. How do we apply our why? Four simple ways. Number one, identify what creates the interference between you and what you already are. This is called the primal fears. Talked about it many times, is the need to be offended, right, separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, worried, resentful. Just take being worried alone. If we took all the energy of the thousands of people that watch this, and we took all the energy and time, value, emotion, and relationships that have been wasted worrying, imagine how productive we could be. Why? Because all that energy is just going to interfere. Worry is just interfering with what we already want, or it actually is even worse. Sometimes it's wishing for what we don't want. The need to be right, offended. How many times do we have a need to be offended? You're just wasting time, emotion, value, relationships, and energy. So when you identify a trigger of an ego, which can be a person, a place, a thing, a podcast, an idea, something that habitually or energetically or genetically you have inherited that bothers you, that creates interference, instead of trying to resist it, understand it, go over it, under it, through it, oversell it, back and sell it, manipulate it, just stop. Don't try to resist it. Stop. Breathe through your nose, out through your mouth. Then you can apply the why. Once you get to center or neutral, once you get back up to your baseline, then you're able to roll into your what, your who, your how, and your now. You're, you're able to take activities aligned with, supplementary to, synergistic with what you want, who can help you, who you can help, how you're going to get it done, either adaptable or a set routine, and prioritize it by doing it now. 
This is the quantum nature of intuition. It's a matter of prioritization. Intuition is always coming through us for other people. We get in its way by not having a mechanism or a system that's practice in order to effectuate our what or who or how and our now by applying our why, which gives us the inspiration. See, motivation's different, right? Motivational gets you up, gets you back up, gets you started, gets you back started, but allows us inspiration brings intuition because we've cleared the interference. Motivation will get you up, inspiration will get you here, there. That's what we're doing here with the five practices of intuition, learning how to prioritize, know your what, know your who, know your how, know your now. Remember, 100% of the things you do now get done. The difference between people that are profitable, passionate, and purposeful get things done. Other people don't. The reason you get things done is you're able to utilize the greatest source that you have, your intuition, your connection to the omniscient and all-powerful. Utilize that. Acknowledge it by giving it all away. Do not take for granted what other people are wishing for. This is the key to happiness, to make more money, help more people, and have more fun. All right, we're going to take some questions here. I'm going to take one online, and then on Clubhouse, we have our first guest after this will be Jesse Simon. Uh, here we go. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see leaders making in terms of prioritization? <clears throat> well, first of all, a good leader is an intelligent follower. And so a good leader to be an intelligent follower would have to know the what, the who, the how, and the now, the collective, not just their own personal experiential. So part of their personal experiential giving and receiving would be the collective consciousness as a leader to be an intelligent follower, to determine the skills and knowledge and desire as a whole of the organization. So the biggest mistake that a leader make is an ego-based decision that they're separate inferior or superior to the collective conscious. And all three, I coach some of the biggest CEOs in the world. Um, and their biggest mistake is narcissistic ego, arrogant ignorance that they think just because they have had great success in their career and lead a major fortune 10 company that somehow they know what they don't know. No, they still don't know what they don't know. And instead, teaching humility to be an intelligent follower, to apply all that they do know in order to effectuate a collective consciousness, in order to learn more through everyone else. That's how great companies have not just one customer, they have their employees as a customer and their vendors as a customer, as well as their customer itself. The biggest mistake those leaders make is they are not intelligent followers so their prioritizations are set within a closed mind of what they think is important not what the collective consciousness thinks is important all right jesse you are up what's your question so my question is um so you talk a lot about we talk a lot about everything but you talk a lot about um like building wealth and i know your you know expertise is business um, I wonder what your take on, and I know I listened to doc, Dr. Joe Dispenza a bit, but what's your take on like the body being able to heal itself, um, like in ways that people find miraculous? Oh my goodness. I believe it to be true. Um, remember miracles, uh, are only a perception perceptions, your co-pilot. So I always say that I can't uh, believe how often that my reality surpasses people's imagination. So according to healing, I can see a variety of different aspects and things that I've witnessed in healing that exceed even my own 
imagination. I talk about it in business. You know, if I would have met Jeff Bezos 25 years ago and he told me, you know, selling books out of his garage that he was going to be the richest man in the world and make over a trillion dollars selling books out of his garage, his reality exceeded my imagination. I would have laughed at him, scoffed at him and made fun of him, even though I'm a optimist, like I'm a believer. And so I think at any scale or level, especially concerning healing, that if somebody has not reached the point of awareness or perspective that you are healthy, you're just interfering with it, that we already are connected to the all-powerful, all-knowing, and what are we doing to connect to it, then it would be difficult for you to even imagine healing thyself, whether it be cancer. I mean, I, I've read stories, I haven't witnessed it. I've read stories about in the Amazon, people regrowing fingers. To me, that surpasses my imagination. But I also know that I don't know what I don't know. So I allow the humility of ignorance to come in and say, until I figure this out, I'm going to lean towards it's possible, maybe not probable, but at least possible. And knowing that nothingness uh, becomes possible once there's an idea, once I'm inspired by it, it becomes probable. Now, the reality comes from understanding, like Dr. Joe knows, discipline, strategy, and awareness in order to effectuate things that other people cannot even imagine or believe. So absolutely, we can heal ourselves to what degree I can't even imagine. And I try not to pass my own judgments, conditions, and limitations on what we as human beings can heal just via the connection we have with uh, the greatest source of power, light, love, and lessons, the omniscient, all-powerful. Hopefully that helped you out and hopefully it expanded your imagination as well. Thank you so much. Perfect. I'm going to take another question online. Thank you, everyone, on IG, on the webinar. I'm blessed to have you all here. Keep putting the questions in. David, P-H-I, I'll call it David, Thi or Thai. Uh, either way, you're up after I take this question. Um, I think this is aligned with the last question. Why, why is studying something like Sanskrit so important? First of all, I study history. Why is studying history so important? And Sanskrit is history, right? It's one of the most ancient writings, ancient lessons that exist. I'm so glad that I study history because number one, it reminds me, allows me to remember and recollect that thoughtfulness is uh, timelessness, that the only construct of time on earth is the speed of light, which is 186 miles per second. So when I can reconcile my thoughts with time by studying history, number one, it's really important and impactful in my life. Two, I study history like studying Sanskrit because the biggest lesson I get from it is human nature never changes. Human nature never changes. All the exterior circumstances and the meanings that we give it change, but the circumstance of human nature never changes. And I have, if anybody wants them, I have the, the lessons for life written thousands and thousands of years ago, not in English, not in any language, but in Sanskrit. And they are probably the most applicable lessons that I have today. And I'm happy to send those to you, uh, just like everything else, the, the guide here for intuition and prioritization, david at dmeltzer.com. So study history, learn about the uh, reconciliation of thoughtfulness, which is the only thing that moves faster than the speed of light, and human nature. And you will have... a uh, enormous ability with productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. You'll have a greater awareness to being happy, to making more money and helping more people. All right, David, you are up. What question do you have for me? Hello, happy Friday. Thanks for having me up on stage. Um, 
I was curious, um, you know, based on, you know, this call came in, um, <laughs> professional athletes and being able to share like their mental health, right? And, you know, kind of um, thinking back to um, Nami uh, Osaka's journey, right? Um, how do you see like empathy, empathy and um, humility, you know, in like that, the modern workplace as we're, you know, being more open and having more discussions about um, mental health, especially, you know, maybe from like a uh, competitive athlete perspective into what we're seeing now in 2021 and moving forward. Thank you. Yeah, great question. I think mindfulness is a great way to look at it because it's not just mental health, it's how important it is to have the appropriate mindset, which includes mental health. We cannot have the appropriate mindset to be productive, accessible, and gracious in a place or activity that we get paid for or not paid for. And so that if we are out of balance, if we're creating interference between us and that neutral, that central, that higher power of thinking, if the blood's left our brain because we are in a primal state of fear that creates anxiety, depression, anger, frustration, all of these things that are indicators uh, that we are not mentally at peace. Uh, and they may uh, manifest themselves in a variety of different ways. All fear-based, uh, you know, emotions, all fear, subconscious and unconscious feelings. I call them, uh, you know, the fear-based consciousnesses, the primal fears that we have that are triggered by these things. So athletes, because they get put onto uh, a more pressure type of situation, uh, they have more judgments and conditions placed upon them. They're forced to not only uh, hear more outside uh, influences of opinions of what other people want for them, but internally they are digesting negative thoughts, negative words, negative actions, negative uh, mindset. And so what we want to really do, whether it's in the activity we get paid for or not get paid for as athletes or just professionals, is we want to utilize this prioritization practice in order to effectuate a better mindset. Uh, there's three things that we want to do in the workplace, well, in the activity you get paid for, you call it the workplace. Uh, for me is one, let's make sure everyone is working on a mindset, right? You give meaning to everything you see. You can't find outside of you what you're not seeing inside of you. And so that's probably the most important. Then you have the heart set, which is we want to make sure everyone's feeling the best that they can feel within their own quantum uh, continuum of how they can feel. Some people are born with a happiness gene so they can feel happy all the time. Other people aren't born with that. So what we want to do, though, is make sure in the activity we're getting paid for as athletes or non-athletes or activity we're not getting paid for as athletes and non-athletes that we have the right heart set and, mind and mindset. And then finally, what used to take priority is the pragmatic productivity. See, what makes me laugh so much being older now is that everybody ignored engagement. And so I think the best line I heard that would clearly depict, especially in America, in Japan as well, uh, and in Korea, where I, where I, uh, when I ran Samsung, people just got so busy working that nobody made any money. They were like, nine to five, nine to five. And it's like that boulder up to the top of the hill and they, they weren't engaged. And so 
the value, it's like the 80% of what bleeds us. They were spending 80% of the day on what was bleeding their energy instead of 80% on what was feeding their energy, which would have fed the company, which would have made it expand and grow and accelerate. And so in this context, if we can get someone's mindset to continue to grow, expand and accelerate, get their heart set to increase and improve every day with a plateau and grow strategy of feeling better and better every day, according to their own quantum being, not somebody else's, right? We meet like people like me, insanely genetically happy. I'm not going to be good to compare yourself with. It would be like me playing one-on-one -on -one basketball with LeBron James. I don't care how I pursue my potential. That boy's going to beat my butt every single time. So I'm not going to compare my basketball skills with LeBron James. I'm going to compare it to some other middle-aged mutant turtle that's five foot seven, can't jump, jump or dribble. Then I can see if I'm improving, plateauing, and growing. Moreover, right? We have to get the right tools into place, these practices into place, because if we can get people to be more engaged, they'll be more productive, more accessible, and more gracious. I promise you the companies that have more productivity, more accessibility, and more gratitude make the most money. Go ahead, list out your favorite companies, go down the stock exchange, go down the values of companies, and go and look and see their employees, their customers, and their vendors all have a high engagement level of productivity, accessibility, and gratitude. It's a guaranteed success. The biggest brands in the world utilize those things. Thank you, David, for the great question. I'll take another question online. After that, my uh, friend, Lori Burns, hussy Milady, as she likes to say with her rhymes and crimes, Lori Burns, you, you're up be next. Uh, I'm gonna take this question because it applies to that corporate setting. How can I encourage intrapreneurship within your company? Um, I'm a big, big, big fan right now of entrepreneurship. I think that most entrepreneurs are missing the boat right now because they're ignoring a huge opportunity, especially young ones. Uh, if you're young and talented and you have some lessons to learn, you may not be well capitalized. I think you're much better off being an entrepreneur, going to a company that has tons of money, tons of equity, tons of benefits, tons of expense account, and building your own ideas, innovations remotely today. I mean, you have every single positive aspect of being an entrepreneur without any risk, without any, and you don't have to raise any money. And these companies today are begging for you if you have skills, knowledge, and desire. They're begging for you. And then as you learn off of their dime and build up equity in the company and value and expenses and all of these things, now you can take those lessons and become an entrepreneur if you decide that's for you. You almost get every single benefit with no risk. I don't understand why everybody wants to be a superhero and risk everything. Uh, you don't have to be a superhero. You don't have to risk everything. If you have kids, if you're looking to transition, I would look to transition as an entrepreneur, look for a business unit, an innovation uh, portion of a big company. Let them give you equity that's already valuable. Let them give you an expense account. Let them give you a salary. Let them give you benefits. Holy moly, talk about value. I don't know, you gotta be almost insane today 
to straight out want to be an entrepreneur. I'm not discouraging it. All I'm asking you is to compare being an entrepreneur to an entrepreneur. If you have that fire in your belly that you have to be innovative, creative, and curious, there's plenty of other opportunities. I know that's a little bit weird coming from someone who is an entrepreneur and promotes entrepreneurship everywhere. I do think entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. I also think philanthropeneurship is entrepreneurship, which is a whole nother op opportunity that exists. Uh, to go ahead and be creative and curious and innovative within the context of a charity. Uh, anyway, I digress. Let's move on. And we have my friend Lori Burns. What question do you have for me, Lori? Well, first off, you don't digress. As I like to say, I don't digress, I ascend. <laughs> and thank you so much, uh, Jay Flesh, for uh, allowing me to uh, come up on stage. And holy moly. Uh, the melt, you always make me giggle and you always just, I love you so much and you raise my vibration, uh, just always. Uh, that being said, and I want to say thank you, Jesse, for asking your question because it, it helped me figure out what I really wanted to ask uh, the melts about. It's just about how, like, connecting the dots between frequency and vibration. And I know you get me, so I think I can kind of just... Yeah. be a little broad so then that way yeah you can just talk and i don't take up too much time i love it so let's talk about let's talk about vibration and how and what effect it has on your frequency so your vibration determines your awareness we can only be aware of that which vibrates equal to or less than us everything vibrates so the earth vibrates the slowest plants animals humans then sound then light and we always talk about what vibrates faster than light, thought. So our awareness, our highest awareness comes from our thought. The thing that vibrates the fastest is the truth. The truthful thoughts vibrate the fastest. That's why I tell people to be kind to your future self and do good deeds because doing good deeds and unconditional deed is probably one of the highest vibrations that you can have. A higher awareness will occur by helping somebody else, which is the truth by giving something away, acknowledging it, that's the truth. So we're elevating, we're celebrating, not being a celebrity, but a celebrant, we're elevating and celebrating a higher vibration or awareness, which makes life easier. You know, the only reason I got involved in meditation because I was so close-minded was Dr. Sangeeta Sahi literally told me, David, because she wanted me to go to this, I'm, like, I'm not going, it's a waste of my time. She goes, I can raise your awareness when to buy or sell. That became quantitatively interesting to me. And that's how I entered the world of meditation and vibration. Now, how is vibration reconciled with frequency? Well, all vibration has a frequency, right? And those frequencies have been labeled in a variety of different way, alpha, beta, gamma. They've been rated in a radio sense, in RF sense. They're rated and defined in different frequencies. Uh, a vibration can resonate with multiple frequencies, right? A, a different vibration. So um, if you have elevated your vibration, you may be able to transmit to different frequencies and, re and resonate with different frequencies. Within the conscious continuum, if we consciously vibrate faster, our cellular structure heats up and it vibrates faster, it's going to have more impact on our subconscious, which now the neural pathways or the mind itself is vibrating faster, which then creates a frequency that talks to your quantum being. It talks to your DNA. It talks to the epigenetic layer of your DNA, actually, which activates your DNA. And what it will do is that DNA is your quantum being. It sends out a beacon or a frequency and it talks to the conscious, subconscious and unconscious mind. 
it creates an attraction. The attraction isn't created by the action. The action programs the system, the subconscious, which then sends a frequency, which then allows you, your quantum being, your unconscious competency to send a frequency out. That frequency is just like a radio frequency. It's only gonna be heard or seen or attracted to certain people at certain stations. And so that's why it's so important that people don't like you. Uh, because that means you have a stronger signal. And so you're more annoying to them. But that also means you have a stronger signal, which means more people will resonate with you. See, if you're at neutral all the time with no frequency, no one's going to like or dislike you. I personally had a big problem with this. So I hid my light. I hid my potential because I was afraid of having a strong signal, which I knew was inside of me. In fact, you know, I had this great light to shine, but I was too afraid because some people are not gonna like the light. They're not gonna like my frequency. You know, it's gonna be really loud. It's like, you know, uh, metal, like heavy metal, right? Certain parents were not on that frequency and man, it was like death to them. But meanwhile, there was a whole bunch of people that it resonated with. So you got to one, strengthen your signal, Find that spectrum and widen it to as many stations as you can and keep on clarifying your message so that more people understand your frequency because it's not just the frequency. It's not just what they hear, right? I mean, it's not just what you say or transmit. It's what they hear. So there can be some distortion or interference between it. You only can strengthen your, free, your, your frequency. You can only widen your spectrum and clarify your message by elevating your vibration. Elevating your vibration is a practice, partly the practice of prioritization, but also just a practice of mindfulness, knowing that the truth vibrates the fastest. Your thoughtfulness moves faster than the speed of light. So allow for that process of vibration and frequency to work for you. Uh, the way that I allow it is Shakespeare. Uh, the two things about Shakespeare that resonate with vibration and frequency to me is one, to thy own self be true. And two, the whole world is your stage. Never before could our frequency reach so far. So remind yourself, study history, study Shakespeare, to thy own self be true, and the whole world is your stage. All right. Thank you, Lori, so much. I'm going to take another question online, and then we will have the double S himself, Shosh Shetty. Uh, you're up after I answer this question. What's the biggest lesson you've learned this week? Biggest lesson I've learned this week is about arrogant ignorance. Uh, I talked about this earlier today on Clubhouse, but it's still resonating with me that I always said there's only two types of people on earth, ignorant people and ignorant people. And the difference between the two types of ignorant people, meaning you don't know what you don't know, is there's humble ignorant people that acknowledge most of the time that they don't know what they don't know. And then there's arrogant, humble people that think they know what they don't know and they don't know what they don't know, just like the ignorant people. But what I didn't realize, and it, this is the lesson of the week, is that I thought the arrogant, ignorant people were closed-minded people that were um, manipulative, they lie, they cheat, they oversell, back-end sell, uh, but they're not necessarily. Yes. Some arrogant, ignorant people are narcissistical and only care about themselves. But a lot of times, arrogant ignorance comes from unconditional love. Uh, and I experienced that at a family wedding where I started to realize, wow, the people who love me the most have arrogant ignorance because they want the most for me 
and they then transcended to the next step thinking they know what's best for me. How the heck are they gonna know what's best for me when I don't know what's best for me because I don't know what I don't know. But it causes a huge conflict or interference with the people that we love the most and we can cause those interference with the people that we love the most. I'm a parent and I started looking at where do I have arrogant ignorance with my own children? Where is the balance between telling them or showing them or teaching them or allowing them to understand their own value. See, I much rather today than tell my kids what to do. I will allow them to watch me. They won't listen to me anyway if I tell them what to do, but I allow them to watch me, but I also give them the tools to evaluate what they want. And then I help them with advice on how best to get what they want because I have situational knowledge, experience. I paid a bunch of dummy tax, but I also allow them to take my advice after they tell me what they want and I can help them get it. I also allow them to treat my advice with humble ignorance, like a handful of sand. And I do the same thing to my mom, I'm 53 years old. She gives me advice, I take it like a handful of sand. If it's not aligned with what I want, who can help me, who I can help and how I'm gonna get it done. And it doesn't mean anything of importance to me. I thank her for it. I don't resist it, I don't get angry. I don't create any resistance between the person who loves me the most and me. I simply thank her for caring enough about me to have that arrogant inner ignorance to think she knows what's best, but I just thank her and I let it fall through my hands. Thank you so much, I'll take that under consideration. And of course, I'll give your advice my priority in my consideration, does that sound fair? I love you, thank you for caring about me. And there's no resistance, there's none of the arrogant ignorance, there's just the humble ignorance. Greatest lesson I've learned this week, changed and shift my own paradigm, made me a hypocrite, because now my values have changed, what I want changes, knowing where I myself am arrogant and ignorant, and where others around me are, I have different what personally, what experientially, I give differently and receive differently, identifying that the people who love me the most, maybe the people who have the most arrogant ignorance towards me or have the most effect on my life with that arrogant ignorance. All right, we have five minutes left. I hope that's enough time because I know this guy, Shaw Shetty. What do you got for me? Hey, Dave, happy Friday. Uh, yeah, absolutely, my friend. Thanks very much for, for having me, uh, both Jake and David. Um, so yeah, and also just a great share, I think, around applying Sanskrit lessons earlier. I thought that was great about getting you know, utilizing the history. So I see the sign, uh, part of the sign behind you, the 1% better every day. I'm very interested to see how do you approach finding that 1% incremental improvements each day yourself? Yeah, that's making sure that I'm cognizant, codifying, creating a system to realize my baseline. So when you're taking inventory of these prioritization principles, uh, when you're taking inventory, you have this plateau and grow strategy. You're actually taking inventory every day on where you're at vibrationally, frequency, monetarily, uh, health-wise, whatever it would be in the personal experiential giving and receiving. See, once I create a baseline, now I can elevate, let's just say the way I feel, and I can keep score in my head, wow, I feel better today than yesterday. And if I don't, I'm gonna get up to the point where I felt yesterday because I'm codifying that, I'm repositing it. I'm using a baseline approach to plateau and grow. And so I don't know what 1% is, right? Just remember statistically, 99% of all statistics are made up. Uh, they sound good, but there's only a few statistics that are true. For example, 100% of the things you get done 
I mean, the 100% the things you do now get done, guaranteed true. 100% of the short putts that you make won't go in. Uh, that's always true as well. So besides that, 1% better every day is arbitrary and capricious. What you want to do is make sure you're getting better every day, right? Do I feel better? Is my mindset better? And are the activities, the quantum, the quantifiable and, and uh, criteria that I have, meaning is my bank account higher? That's a quantifiable thing. Am I making more money, right? That means I'm getting better at that. That doesn't mean I'm going to feel better, right? Because in order to feel better about money, you got to shop for the right things with the right reasons and you'll feel better. And then money becomes that unbelievable power at the man-made construct of time, allowing you to shop. And if you shop for the right things for the right reasons, you'll be super happy, which will make you feel better, which will give you a better mindset and open up your mind, hands and heart to even more because it allows you to appreciate and then give it away and acknowledge what you have. The more you have, the more you can give away, the more you can acknowledge, the more you can expand and so on and so on. And that's where we started. Uh, so very important. I'm going to take a question um, online and see if I have time after that. Uh, here we go. Thank you, Shosh, by the way. Um, how to avoid, now I'm, I'm not going to take that one. Here we go. Uh, sorry about this. What, what's the best and worst pitch you've ever heard? <clears throat> uh, the best pitch I ever heard was a completely credible, emotionally attached. Uh, it was a woman, uh, uh, who it was unbelievable pitch. It was well-practiced, well-rehearsed, utilized technology. She was a, as close to credible as all possible. Emotionally, she attached me. She was 18 years old and adopted two 12-year-olds at 18. And her parents told her if she adopted these two 12-year-olds when she was 18, that they would disown her. And she did it anyway. She had two exits before she was 30. Uh, she could quantify the reasons why her new company was going to do well. She explained and quantified the impact and she had extraordinary capability. Best pitch I ever heard. Worst pitch I ever heard was a guy who on elevator pitch, uh, my third show, which I'm the executive producer of, came out of the elevator. We, Danica Patrick and I did not let him out. Uh, and so he walked by us and he's like, you guys just made the biggest mistake of your life. I've already done $2 million in revenue. And I looked at him and I said, that'd been nice to know. So like literally this guy talked about Mark Twain. He had no credibility. No, we didn't like him. He was the D word. Uh, he could not quantify the reasons to invest, including the biggest reason, like the guy was making tons of money and was successful, no impact at all. And did literally just did a feature and benefit dump. Um, and so those are the two best. If you guys want to apply to two minute drill, by the way, we are taking applications for season three on Bloomberg TV and Amazon win $50,000 of cash and prizes. If you want the prioritization uh, practice guide, just email me, David at dmelter.com. I'll throw in my book, ebook, audiobook. I'll sign a book, send it to you, pay for shipping. It's all free. Do not worry. Next week topic, we're going 6 a.m. with the Breakfast of Champions, BYOQ. You bring the questions about anything, I'll bring the answer. Uh, go ahead, email me for two minute drill. Office Hours, our show with unbelievable guests like Sadhguru and Cameron Diaz, Paulo Ono, and so on, October 15th. Uh, once again on Amazon and Bloomberg. Uh, I want to most importantly thank everyone for taking their time today to be with us. If I didn't get to your questions, go ahead and email me, david at dmelzer.com. Most importantly, vibrate at your highest frequency. How? By being kind to your future self and doing good deeds. 
Thank you, everyone. Have a great weekend. See you later.